Welcome to Heritage Radio Network On Tour, broadcasting live from Fire, Flower, and Fork in Richmond, Virginia. I'm Lisa Held, and before we kick things off, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Virginia Wine, for making our coverage of the festival possible. Right now, I'm joined by Warren Brothers and Luke Owens. Thank you both for being here so much. Yeah, of course. For having us. So, I'm going to do a little intro first. Um, Warren Brothers is a fifth-generation farmer in North Carolina. Is that right? That is correct. Um, and so over hundreds of years, the Brothers farmers have grown crops like tobacco, corn, cotton, and wheat. And Warren Brothers now grows close to 50 varieties of vegetables using organic practices. His most famous customer is Vivian Howard, who buys produce for her restaurant, Chef and the Farmer and featured him on her popular PBS show, A Chef's Life. And Luke Owens is the chef de cuisine at Chef and the Farmer. Um, so you guys work together pretty closely, I'd imagine. We do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, 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 we do. <laughs> pretty closely. Yeah. Um, so I want to, I definitely want to talk a lot about how you work together and how, um, how that relationship works and, and how you got involved with Chef and the Farmer, Warren. Um, before we do that, let's talk a little bit about your work as a farmer. So you've been farming for generations. Um, tell me like your earliest memories on the farm. How old were you when you started farming? Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, yeah, well, when I was real young, I was just in the way. Um, I can remember almost getting a spanking every day because a lot of work going on. They were picking cotton or harvesting tobacco. And so you had lots of kids on the farm that were too young to work. And so we were just in the way until we got big enough to work. Right. Um, you know, we were in, it was just a lot of mischief going on really. But right. anyway. And so when you were growing up, was the farm that you lived on, was it a tobacco farm? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I've heard that um, tobacco is like notoriously difficult to farm. Is that true? Like just... It's a hard... It's, it's labor-intensive. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you... Uh, yeah, it's pretty much from the time you put it in the ground to the time you get... I mean, it's a lot of... Back then, especially, it was, you know, took a lot of labor. Yeah. To, you know, of course, we're talking about the 60s and 70s before everything was mechanized. Right. So... And then you... Um, you became a tobacco farmer on your own. Is that... You continued oh, yeah. that mm -hmm. tradition. Um, right. For how long? Yeah. I did my last tobacco crop in 2005. Okay. And then, um, but I'd already started uh, looking for an alternative before then. I was, um, uh, in 2000, uh, there was a cut flower grant and I raised some cut flowers. And about 2002, I picked up some, uh, uh, went to a, a, a meeting and started grossing, raising uh medicinal herbs mm. and that that actually was pretty lucrative for a while mm. raising chamomile and uh we had two or three acres of chamomile we messed with and made pretty good money on that but then it, so many things like that are on a world market mm. and the price got depressed you know they could buy it in egypt cheaper than they could buy it from us and we sort of lost lost yeah. that account but anyway but it was fun so what made you make the switch to vegetables well, that was when uh, Vivian opened a restaurant, and 
you know, we got to talking. I was, had flowers at the time, and I went in and asked her, did she want to put flowers in the restaurant? She said, sure. But what I need is some, a lot of fresh vegetables that I can't get at the local farmer's market. You know, she could get collards and turnips and cabbage, but she wanted bok choy and daikon radish and things like that if she could get it, artichokes. Um, and so, so I just started, you know, working with her on that and it evolved into more restaurants and, you know, more people. So... It's, it's and so now you sell uh, primarily to restaurants, is that right? Yeah, yeah, we've got about six restaurants we do. Okay. And, uh, but uh, Luke there at the Chef and the Farmer, that's probably my, you know, my biggest account, so. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about what you grow. Oh, my. Well, it <laughs> changes seasonally, but right now it's, um, you know, an awful lot of greens. We're sort of waiting on a lot. Of, we, of course, we've harvested their sweet potatoes for the year, so we've got a, a buku of those. And uh, but we're sort of waiting on rutabagas and turnips and radishes and that kind of thing. But a lot of greens right now. Uh, a couple of kinds of kale, collards, um, mustard greens, two or three kinds. Um, yeah, waiting on cabbage, but but a lot of a lot of different things. Spinach. And. Um we were at a dinner last night and we were talking a little bit about how you transitioned to organic practices. Um, how, how challenging was that? Can you talk a little bit about the transition from learning to grow, you know, growing conventional to then? Right, right. Well, I, was, I went from raising, you know, two or three things to raising 40 different things. So, yeah, the learning curve was like huge because, you know, there's just every vegetable's got, you know, likes and dislikes and, and the right time to plant it. So it's, yeah, and plus it's, it's like year-round now. Back when raised tobacco, you'd get your tobacco crop in in the fall and you could hunt and fish and kind of take it easy for a little while. And now it's just like, you know, pretty much work all the time. Yeah. Sure, it's nice to be here in Richmond with you because I don't... <laughs> there's, there's not a whole lot of work for me to do up here. Uh. That's great. Um, so, so how long have you been working with Chef and the Farmer? Oh, late. Eight years. How long have they been open? 12 years. 12 years. Yeah, 12. Wow. Okay. And so, Luke, how long have you been there? Um, two years. Okay. Two years now. So I um, came from Raleigh, North Carolina, um, and I grew up in the area, in the, the Greenville, Kinston, Aiden area, uh, and then moved to Raleigh after college and all that, uh, that time. And Vivian had opened a second restaurant, the Boiler Room, um, and through a, a long process, it's you know, a long story to say, but short, um, we got the job and <clears throat> my, my wife and I moved down, moved back, uh, to take the job, at the boiler room. And then 10 months later I was at chef. So a total of two years now met Warren day one. He was the day one. Yeah. Close to day one and try to meet all the purveyors up front and, you know, said, well, this is the farmer of chef and the farmer. So pretty important one to meet and this guy walks in the kitchen with a box of vegetables and no shoes on <laughs> and I, sa I said you know who's this guy yeah <laughs> and, um, and they're like oh that's Warren I said oh okay I pat him on the shoulder I said oh you're the infamous Warren yeah I pay, guess it's pay fine him not, mind. it's fine to not wear shoes because you're you're Warren brothers so. <laughs> I thought you need like more substantial shoes on a farm like boots or you know <laughs> There is a time for that. That was our. Uh, that's how we met, from what I remember. Good memory there. Yeah. 
That's like you're right. <laughs> so at the restaurant, do you base a lot of what you cook, what you make on what Warren grows, or do you have conversations about like, I need you to grow this because I want to do this? Like, talk a little bit about how that relationship works. Sure. No, I really like that question, and we get it at the restaurant a lot um, because typically, and like Warren said earlier, yeah, I think at first. Vivian wanted things that she couldn't get at her local market, like daikon, like you said, and certain types of radishes or, you know, her favorite kinds of turnips. Um, at the market, they just weren't available, really, and I think she wanted some other things. But as the years have gone on, and at least in the what we'll call the Luke saga of Chef and the Farmer the past year and a half or two, um, that's not what we do. I think it's kind of reversed, where we really want to support the farmer, and say, you know, grow whatever you want to or whatever your, your ground is good for, and we'll base our menu on that. Um, you know, a lot of farm-to-table is a little bit of the opposite of, you know, we want you to grow this and you to grow this and you to, right. and so on. But um, in our community, I think we really, we base it off of them um, and kind of work our menu around what they're doing. Right. Are there a lot of challenges to that um, in terms of just like the how unpredictable growing is? Like, do you have to often call Luke and say, you know, sorry, the <laughs> <laughs> um, that, radishes. That, that does happen. That yeah. does happen. Uh, you know, it, it, farming is weather related. So, right. you know, like this fall with the hurricane we had, it, uh, yeah, kind of, it really messed me up pretty bad for a while. Um, but, we're, you know, hopefully we're back on track now. So, you know, you just just keep on pushing and planting and it, it'll all work out. But Yeah. And so does that keep you on your toes? Do you have to change? Do you often change recipes or change? Yeah, dishes? well, it's difficult anyway, because the way that, you know, Vivian's built this this restaurant is um, it rotates so often anyway. Right. So when something like a, a natural occurrence comes through, like the huge storm we had, uh, almost two, you know, two months ago or so, we're still seeing repercussion from that. Um, you know, Warren isn't the only farmer in the area that isn't able to really supply much right now. I mean, we were very, very flooded. Um, but thankfully, you know, our staff came out of that um, without any issues or, or damages, really. Um, so we're very thankful on that front. But as far as planning a menu with not a lot to go on, and to still try to be creative and innovative um, and stay relevant, you know, is, yeah, it's difficult. Right. Yeah. What is, um, so we're talking a little bit about where you are and the, the weather you've had that's been really challenging. Um, are there particular things about the climate where you are that um, affect what you grow in terms of like, are there things that grow really well in North Carolina? Like special I, I would say it has more to do with like just when you plant it. I think most anything will grow. We've got really good soil, you know, the nice sandy loam. And so it's more about planting everything at the right time, you know. Because you can have a, of course, I'm a little jealous of the crowd in the mountains. They can have three crops of cabbage a year or collards or, um, you know, they can plant a spring, summer, and a fall crop. And we can't do that. The, the, the heat at the end of the summer is a little oppressive for a lot of cool season grains but but um that's really my favorite is the spring and fall crops mm. like can can you give some examples of like your favorite crops to grow oh i don't know well i mean we we, we just uh, collard kale a lot of crucifers um you know in the fall and spring and and really going into the falls better depending on how your season goes but 
Um, that could be, you know, to me, like the everything gets better after a little nip of cold on it or a little frost hits it. I know the collars are better when, when they've had frost on them. So, um, so yeah, I think the fall of the year would probably be my favorite time. The weed pressure and the insect pressure kind of goes away. Right. Um, and I know that you have recently gotten into growing hemp as well. Yes. Um, how did that happen? Well, it was a, a real learning experience uh, this year. You know, we tried clones and seeds, and we, we found out that seeds have a much healthier root system than clones, which kind of makes sense because, you know, a clone is nothing more than a cutting, put in some uh, root and compound, and then put in, in soil. Okay. So it's, it has to develop its own root, whereas a seed, you know, that's, that's kind of proven over millions of years that that little scenario works. So, um, so next year I think we're going with all seed, and I think that'll help us a lot. We, you know, with all the uh, we had a wet season even before we had the hurricane. Right. Yeah. That and really so affected a lot of uh, we had a lot of root rot going on in mm-hmm. the plants. I had didn't plant but a couple hundred plants, and you know, and I'm glad we didn't plant more because it turned out, you know, pretty. Mm, it, well, the verdict's not out because we're drying it and have yet to sell it. But I don't. I think we'll be lucky to get our seed money back this year. Right. So it was a learning experience and and a, and a good one. So hopefully next year we can push forward and plant a little bit more. What made you want to get into like expand into hemp? Oh, it's all you know. Well, number one, it's just the closest thing to raising marijuana as you can get, and that's kind of exciting. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah, we we're gonna. Uh, yeah, just give it a shot and and see. Uh, and and suppose there's going to be some money made, you well, know, yeah, which, which is always exciting to a farmer because, yeah. you know, uh, it's it's always a challenge to you know to balance the books on a on a small farm. So right, definitely. Are are you finding there is a market for it? Oh yeah, seems to be. I mean, I've you know, I've got I'm, I'm sort of jockeying with three or four buyers right now on who's going to give me the most for it. So we'll, you know, so we'll see how that goes. He's got a friend in us for sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We've talked about doing some hemp dinners. Yeah, we want to kind of incorporate it in our it cooking out. too. That'll be fun. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. How, can you, have you tried it so far? Like no, I've been, I've been to one though. I've been to a hemp dinner. Oh, okay. Um, and like, the, do you use the seeds or? No, I mean, I think mostly we would plan on extracting it out of, out of the leaves. Oh, um, like CBD? Yeah, and, you know, maybe making oils or butters and cooking with those. Um, But it's just a a time of research, really, you know, just like Warren, you know, it's a learning experience for him. You know, before we would ever try to execute something like a hemp dinner, um, you know, it's very new. So um, when we do something, we obviously want to do it very well. Um, So, you know, we would take that same learning curve and, and really dive into research on it and how to cook with it and how to extract the most for what whatever preparation you would want to do for a particular dish um but i mean we're all about it you know he said he was going to grow it and he was going to try it and i took that information to vivian and he had already talked to her about it as well and we were both you know i asked her i said could we you know maybe do a hemp dinner and she was all about it so when the time comes um and the research has been done you know it'll be fun that's awesome um, Luke, can you talk a little bit more about the food at um, Chef and the Farmer? For people who don't know the restaurant, um, you know, I sort of started off as like, oh, everyone knows this because of the TV show. But right. I'm sure there's lots of people listening who haven't heard of it. Um, sure. Can you talk a little bit about the model and your food? 
Sure, yes. So I think the overall the overall idea and model of what we want to do is um, is use our, our ingredients um, honestly and use them um, you know close to their original form or if we branch outside of our eastern North Carolina region or North Carolina region and you know maybe do something from other parts of the world we want to make sure that we're using um, similar ingredients or ingredients that could be kind of implemented into those dishes that are from our part of of the country um, you know where someone may want to use sesame seeds we would use bene seeds uh, because it's native to our area right. so we may branch out a bit um, in the types of food that we want to do or that are on the menu but we always bring the ingredients back to eastern north carolina and make sure that we're doing an honest uh, take or riff on on that dish from our part of the world right and, uh, and obviously using you know farmers first and then you know branching out from there if we need other other ingredients so you, I'm sure there are a lot of people like Warren in your life. Do you, you work like directly with a lot of farmers around? Yeah, um, you know, the restaurant's in a very small um, town, but everyone, well, you know, Warren can attest to this too. Everyone knows everyone. You know, we were talking at breakfast this morning um, about another farmer and, and his farm and how, you know, awesome his stuff is. And, you know, everybody kind of knows everyone. So we... Um, yeah, I mean, just uh, no one. No one's exactly like Warren. I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but yeah, we quite a few, quite a few around. Did you Did you ever um, think of doing anything else, like being in farming your whole life, Warren? Like, did you ever say, you know, I, I don't want to be in farming anymore? I you know, I, I threatened to get a public job one time, but I just. Um, you work. know, because farm income is so wishy-washy. Uh, and I was trying to raise a family. This was when I was in my 20s. And I, I actually got a job with UPS. I was going to be a really? UPS truck driver, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I never went to work. I just, you know. It, so, so I've never really had a public job. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, farming, I mean, I wouldn't really want to do anything else, I don't think. What do you love about it? I don't know. It's just, well, for one thing, you're, you know, you're your own boss, you know. And you get to make your own mistakes and, and learn from them and that kind of thing. But it's just, and then just being outside and just, you know, hands and feet in the dirt. And it's just a great lifestyle and great for your children and grandchildren. And, you know, watch them grow up and mm-hmm. get dirty and have fun too. So it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a great, most farmers, I think, would agree that, yeah, it's the lifestyle and, the, you know, the opportunities to be close to nature. Yeah. That make it so special. I mean, you make it sound so magical. And <laughs> I talk to a lot of farmers, and um, one of the um, challenges, though, I think is sometimes I think it's, like, idealized to the point where people don't realize how hard it is. Like, do you ever... Right. You know? And that's easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, like, especially the economic challenges. Like you were saying, um, you know, over the years, like, has it been difficult to figure out, like, the best model for, you know, should you just sell to restaurants? Should you do a CSA? Should you, you know, like making those, making the actual business side work? Right. Well, well pretty much you got to do it all. It is like, um, you know, we do farmer's markets and, and some CSAs and restaurants. And, you know, um, 
And we even, we even got tangled up. Jane put it on Facebook. We have a pretty active uh, farm Facebook page. And Jane put out on the Facebook page that we would ship vegetables anywhere in the United States. And, man, we got bombarded with all these people from all over that wanted a box of Brothers Farm vegetables. Right. Well, we weren't set up. We didn't have, you know, you got to have a little special cooler box. And, and uh, anyway, it was a... Uh, it wasn't a fiasco, but we didn't we didn't do it for about a month, and you we decided, decided it was just way too much of a headache to do that. Right. But uh, but it was fun, and it was really nice that you know people from all over thought that you know our vegetables were worth you know paying a shipping fee. It was as much as the vegetables. Right. Um, in other words, uh, we'd sell them twenty dollars worth of vegetables, and it cost them forty five dollars <laughs> to get it. It was like, but anyway, but it was it was fun. It was a learning experience. So. Yeah. Well, so it sounds like the business side can be trial and error, which maybe as a farmer, that's actually, you're really good at that, right? Because a lot of farmers... Right, right. You have to, yeah. I can't think, tell you how many times I have, you know, made a boo-boo in marketing or, you know, and, you know, just, yeah, I think life's like that in general for everybody, you know, yeah. so. Awesome. Um, well, thank you both so much for being here. I really appreciate um, your time and all your insights into farming and um, the relationship between a chef and a farmer. Um, I think it's, it's cool to see when, you know, you work together so closely and um, that doesn't always happen. Right. And like Luke, you were talking so much about how you support, like you go to him and you kind of plan your menu based on that. And, oh yeah. Um, I think that's, that's really, it's a way that can really support food systems, right, and local farms. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, relationships, too. You know, I think yeah. it's a big part of cooking and a, a big part of what we, we do and what we want to do. So, right. totally. Well, thank you both so much for being here. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, thanks again to our sponsor, Virginia Wine, for making our coverage of Fire, Flower, and Fork possible. Thank you.